If you have your uh, Bible, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. I will be reading actually verses 1 through 11, but the area of concentration will be on verses 7 through 11. 1 Peter chapter 4. Let us give careful attention to the reading and the hearing of God's holy and inspired word. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the test, live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. This time, the time that is past, suffices doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised whom you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. They malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the way the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves with the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. May God bless the inerrant and infallible rule of God, the Word of God. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank you again for this Word, and we pray that as we consider uh, this text this morning, that your Spirit would be our teacher, Lord. We're not here to just take up time and space. We're here to worship you, to know you better, to love you more, to just serve you with great pleasure. So Lord, be with us and teach us, we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. I think I can quickly say that living in this world, I think is very challenging. And I guess it's been challenging ever since the fall of mankind, going back to Genesis chapter three. But we do see that there's, a, there's a, a warfare that is going on. It's between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. It's between light and darkness. It's between good and evil. And we see that in, in a lot of places in the scriptures, and we can't refer to them all right now, but I, I think of those who are unbelievers, those who are presently serving uh, their father, 
the evil one because they have not been converted to, to know and to love the Lord Jesus Christ. They're still walking in darkness, and they love the darkness, the Scripture says. And so uh, what, how would you describe them? I think the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, and I think uh, that you've been through that recently anyway, but in Romans chapter 1, it says toward the end of it that these people have chosen not to worship God, not to worship the Creator, but to worship that which is created. And what does God do? He hands them over to their own natural desires. They, they burn in the flesh for, for men upon men and women upon women. And then as you come toward the end of Romans chapter 1, you see a litany of issues and problems that society faces, especially those who are currently walking in darkness. They love the darkness and they want people to join them in their behavior. They want them to get down in the muck and the mire of this world and live like them. And then I also think of Paul's letter to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and he says that these are the last days, and then he gives also a litany of problems that we find with those who are presently walking in darkness. In fact, I won't say, I can't tell you all of them right now, but you might want to read that sometimes this afternoon, perhaps also Romans chapter 1. But there in 2 Timothy chapter 3, a couple of things that Paul says to Timothy, that the people who are walking in darkness, who are in the kingdom of this world, who are on the broad road that is leading toward destruction, they love money, they love pleasure. The one thing that they do not love, they do not love God. You see all the things that they do to show their lack of love for the Creator. And then even in this first part of 1 Peter chapter 4, you'll see uh, the situation similar to those other two that uh, other two situations that I mentioned earlier, the times that pass suffices. What the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality and passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idol idolatry. When you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign themselves, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So you see a list of things, both in, in Romans chapter 1 and 2 Timothy chapter 3 and right here in 1 Peter chapter 4. You see debauchery. You see licentiousness. You see all sorts of evil, whether it's idolatry or sensuality or drunkenness, whatever it may be. Those people are walking in the wrong direction. And left in that direction, in that broad road, they will experience eternal separation from the living God. But, the, but Peter here tells us that we are walking on the narrow road that leads toward life, that we have been born again into a living hope. In fact, I, I love 1 Peter chapter 1. Let me read just a little bit of that when, when uh, Peter is writing there basically to people who are being persecuted. And he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfailing, unfading, 
kept in heaven for you, whom by God's power are guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, greatly rejoice. For now, a little while, is necessary that you be grieved by various trials, more precious than gold and perishes that is tested by fire may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter is saying, you look at the unbeliever, the unregenerate, and they're on a broad road leading toward destruction, and they're doing all sorts of things that are certainly offensive to a living God and should be offensive to the people of God as well. And then you see us born again into a living hope with an inheritance, a sure inheritance in the new heavens and new earth. So quite the difference between the unregenerate and those who have been born again. The Apostle Paul is saying here, and I trust it's for our encouragement, that the time is near. What is he saying? The time is near that the Lord Jesus Christ will be coming again. And all of those promises that God has made to his people will come to fruition. He's promised that we will go with him to the new heavens and new earth wherein, wherein dwelleth righteousness, where there's peace and joy and no sadness, no sorrow, no wars, all those things that beset mankind today. So the, so the thing that you and I should be concerned about and rejoicing in is the fact that Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, the time is near. Now, a lot of people say, well, it's been a long time since that was written, and it has been a long time. But the psalmist says that a thousand years is like a watch in the night for God. So, but the time is near. Every day, it gets closer for our Lord's return, and that should encourage us to keep running the race that he has marked out for us. He's given us some instructions and some instructions here in terms of how to live as we await the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And this is what he says. He says, first of all, that we are to live self-controlled and sober-minded lives. Self-control. If there's one thing that the world does not understand or practice, it's self-control. The world has no idea of the concept of self-control. But the Apostle Paul tells us how the unregenerate, the unbeliever lives. In fact, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 19, he says, Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame and their minds are set on earthly things. That describes their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. In fact, they go around oftentimes boasting in what they do, boasting in the evil that they are perpetrating upon themselves and also society. They boast in it. Perhaps they got drunk overnight. Perhaps they're on drugs. Perhaps they have a number of sensual relationships, and they boast about the numbers of of, of affairs they've had and all the other things and the drunkenness and all those things that we see as debauchery and licentiousness and all the things that are spoken about in the holy scriptures so they boast about them and their their really mindset is on earthly things their appetites 
are never satisfied for fleshly things. But the difference between the unregenerate and the believer, the follower of Christ, is that the follower of Christ has a Holy Spirit in them. I trust you understand that, that as a believer, the Holy Spirit not only gave you a new heart that pants after the living God, but he's also given uh, us a, a mind that we can think as well. And so the Holy Spirit is within us, and the Holy Spirit has given us the Word of God. The Holy Spirit, as we read the Word of God, is teaching us how to bring our life into conformity with God's holy will. The Holy Spirit is teaching us. He's in us. We're the temple of the living God. That's an amazing truth that we need to embrace and understand and rejoice in. We're also to be sober-minded. Sober-minded. Our heart has been changed and our mind has been changed as well. What does Paul write in Romans chapter 12? Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? That you might prove the perfect will of our Heavenly Father. He's given us his mind. He's given us the ability to reason, to look at, look at the world, look at the temptations that we find in the world, look at the things that, that we see every day in the world, and, and we, can, we can reason. Do we want to participate in those things? Do we not want to participate in the, those things? God, help us to make the right decisions because decisions have consequences. Good decisions have good consequences. Bad decisions have bad consequences. So we have the mind of Christ. In fact, Paul says that in, in, in Corinthians. You have the mind of Christ. If you're a child of God today, you have the mind of Christ in you. What does Jesus say in, in uh, not Jesus, but Paul in Philippians chapter 2? Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. Let the mind of Christ be in you. So not only do we have a transformed mind that we may think clearly and act clearly, but we have the mind of Christ and we have the, the, the person of Christ to show us how to live a life that is pleasing and honoring to him. We, we look at the life of Jesus and he certainly was, was uh, sober-minded, uh, called by the Father, sent by the Father on a mission. And that mission was to be an atoning sacrifice for the sins of his people called from before the foundations of the world. We see Jesus coming into the world. We see him uh, doing ministry. We see the Holy Spirit coming upon him. We see, uh, we see the pleasure of God being announced that this is my son in whom I am well pleased. We see Jesus being led by the Spirit out into the desert to be tempted by the evil one, or on three different occasions, Jesus refused to succumb to that temptation, and he quoted scripture, and ultimately the evil one left him. And then he went on announcing that the kingdom of God has come. He went on doing the, the deeds of healing the sick, raising the dead, and all the things covering uh, showing his power over nature itself, the wind and the rain and all those things. And Jesus fulfilled his mission by having gone to Jerusalem and having gone to, 
Golgotha to Calvary and hanging there on the cross as he's finishing the mission that his father sent him to do, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then a little bit later, he punctuates it with this. It is finished. What God the Father had called him to do, Jesus Christ came down here, did everything the Father called him to do. He did it perfectly. He went to the cross perfectly. He died perfectly. He was raised on the third day. He has ascended into heaven, and he is our advocate even now as we're here today. Sober-minded. And when you say, well, he was God, but he was fully man too. He was tempted in every way that we were, and yet he never succumbed to that temptation. So he lived a perfect life, died a death, is raised, and is living again. And one day we will join him. So what's, what do we take from that? We have a mission too. God has given every one of his people a mission. First of all, it's to bear witness to him to live a life that is pleasing to him, to read the scriptures and, and be informed exactly of what he wants us to do, what kind of people we ought to be. So we have a mission, and that's to honor God in every sphere of our lives, in our family, in the church, in the workplace, and also in civil society. That's part of our mission. So we're to be self-controlled. We're not to look like the world. We're to look like Jesus. And act like Jesus. We're not Jesus, but we... He's sanctifying us by His Spirit and His Word. The second thing He calls us to do is to be people of prayer. You know, one of the hardest things, and I, I'll, I'll confess this, one of the most difficult disciplines that probably I have faced, and perhaps many of you have faced as well, is the discipline of prayer. Because oftentimes we're so busy, there are things going on, there's work, there's places to go, there's things to see. Our, our time is is, is, it seems like we don't have enough time in the day to do all the things that we want to do. And oftentimes, the thing that we miss out doing most of all is spending time at the throne of grace, casting our cares upon the living God who loves us and bids us to come and cast our cares upon Him. So we're called to pray. Called to pray. The Shorter Catechism gives a, a short answer to what is prayer. Prayer is an offering up our, of our desires to God of things according to His will with confession of sin and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. Oftentimes, I remember shortly after my conversion, I remember praying for something and it was of a material nature. God did not want me to have that. And it was foolish of me to ask for it. He says, ask according to what he has revealed. He wants to bless his people. 
but he wants to bless you with what he has ordained is good for you and will profit you in the best sense of the word. He says, come, cast your cares upon me. He commands us in Matthew chapter 7, ask that you may receive, seek that you may, uh, may, may receive as well. Knock that the door may be open unto you. Ask, seek, knock, don't give up. If you're praying what he wants you to uh, to pray in Holy Scripture, if you're asking for that, if you're asking for a greater portion of the Holy Spirit to come and dwell within you, he will give it to you. If you're asking for daily bread, he will provide it for you. If you're asking for a job, he will provide a way of livelihood for you. Ask according to the Word of God. What does that mean? It means that you need to know the Word of God. You need to know it. You need to read it. You need to meditate upon it. And then your prayer should be dictated by what you have read and studied and memorized in your head and affects your heart as well. Pray. Pray. Don't be anxious for anything, but in everything, Paul says, in everything, pray. Ask and receive. And the peace of God will be upon you. He says, pray without ceasing. And this passage in James says, you have not because you ask not. And when you do ask, you ask oftentimes for the things that are just for you so that you may spend it on yourself. God will not answer that prayer. He didn't answer my prayer shortly after I was converted because I was asking for a material thing that I didn't really need. It wasn't his will to give it to me. So we're to be sober-minded, self-controlled, and people of prayer. The third thing there is the Christian is called to express love to one another. Sometimes that seems to be rather hard. We know what the scriptures teach. We're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, body, and strength, and we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. But Jesus tells us something in the upper room in John chapter 13. He's with the uh, with the disciples there. He's instituting the Lord's Supper, and he's giving them a new commandment. Jesus says, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another as I love you. Whoa. How did Jesus love his disciples? He loved them, and he was going to sacrifice his life for his disciples. You see, we're called to love sacrificially. We don't love just when we feel like it. We love it because it's the right thing to do. It's the biblical thing to do. It's what God wants us to do. We are to love the body of Christ deeply, fervently. Maybe we need to ask our question, ourselves the question today as we look around. Do we really love one another in a sacrificial way? Because it takes effort, it takes time. Sometimes it may even take some resources to love our neighbor because perhaps they're going through difficult times and they need some help financially. But we're called to love them 
fervently. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes a commitment. It's sort of like a, a soldier going into combat. He needs to be properly trained. He needs to be in good shape. He needs to be aware of what kind of uh, uh, weapon he is using or whatever the case. Needs to know how to move on the battlefield. Needs to know all of those things. Or a runner running for the marathon, maybe in, a, in the Olympics or somewhere else. Can't run just five miles if he's running a marathon. Can't practice five miles because he'll never make it the rest of the way. We're called to love. To love as Christ loved us. And Jesus loved us to the death. It's important to, to also say what the scripture says. He says, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that love covers a multitude of sins. A multitude of sins. Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone who has offended me? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. In, in, in other words, there's no end to our forgiving. Nobody's counting 490 times, and then I can stop. But we're continuing to forgive and forgive and forgive. And this is one very important thing to keep in mind, not from this particular text, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love, love keeps no record of wrongs. I believe most people keep a record. If someone has wronged them, maybe even years later, it's been such uh, and had such an impact on that person that he still keeps that, that transgression in mind, never gets over that and perhaps holds it against the person. But love not only covers a multitude of sins, but it keeps no record of wrongs. Will you hear that? No record of wrongs. So love one another. Forgive one another. Don't keep a record of the transgressions. The fourth thing Peter says here, and there are five, so I'm coming to the fourth and soon to the fifth one. The Christian is called to practice hospitality. The Christian is called to practice hospitality. Because hospitality is an expression of love. And I, I wish I could tell you, I haven't kept account of the number of places and people that I have, that have opened their home and their heart to me over the course of my Christian life. I can't even count them. They've opened their heart, they've, they've opened their home, they've given us, given a place to sleep and food to eat, all the things and the conversation that is always good. I end up staying mostly with Christians to my knowledge. And so it's a wonderful experience. Some I didn't know, but they opened their home to me not knowing who I was, only that I was a professing Christian, and I stayed there, and I had fellowship with them. I broke bread together. I loved the experience. God provided. So we're called to be hospitable. Why is that so important? Well, in the first century, it was really important because 
a number of people who were persecuted because of their faith in Christ lost their home. They had no place to live, so other Christians would bring them into their home. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla are commended by Paul because they opened their home, not only for people to stay there, but so that they could learn the scriptures and learn more about God, and so they would be discipled. So, uh, so that takes place in the home as well. And traveling missionaries early on, the first century, uh, they didn't have a lot of inns in which they could stay, and most of the inns were corrupt anyway, with a lot of uh, debauchery going on. So people opened their homes to missionaries. And so we're called to be hospitable. Christians are particularly to be hospitable to those who are in the faith, but also even to strangers, the Scripture says. Because the Scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, sometimes we entertain angels unawares. Open your home. Open your heart. Feed those that come into your home. Discuss the things of God with them. Glorify God in your time with them. You might even entertain an angel. I kind of felt that way once or twice when I was in Ramstein, Germany. People visiting. They came in. And there was just something there was an aura about them that was a little bit different. I didn't ask them if they were angels or not. They could have been. I know there are angels. Angels ministered to Jesus after the temptation account. In Hebrews chapter 1, angels are called ministering spirits. So angels are there. In fact, if you read Revelation 2 or 3, there's an angel in every church. There's an angel here today. Jesus Christ is here, the Holy Spirit is here, and there is an angel for the church. Hospitality. But there's a, a provision if you offer hospitality. You cannot do it with a grumbling mindset. It has to be a joyful thing. No grumbling. It's just like when we give to the church, we tithe or the, we give. We give with a glad heart because God has provided for us. And so if we have an abundance, we can share that. Not even an abundance, but our duty is to tithe and to make an offering to the church. So we're to do it, show hospitality without complaining. And lastly... The Christian is called to godly stewardship. There's a lot involved with stewardship, but Peter only mentions two things here in, in regards to stewardship. And they're very important. And one of them addresses, addresses the pastor or the preacher or the teacher. And the gifts that God has given us in the church are multiple gifts. And every Christian has a gift or perhaps several gifts, more gifts, but at least one gift you have if you're a child of God in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those gifts are found in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Ephesians 4 and also right here in 1 Peter. And he's speaking to two particular gifts. These gifts are given by God. They're given by God to the church. And all the gifts that are mentioned in 
Romans and 1 Corinthians and Ephesians and here, they're given for the benefit of the church. They're not for our own benefit. A person may say, well, I'm a great preacher. Listen to me. That ability to preach and communicate the word of God is a gift from God. The ability to teach the word of God is a gift from God to the teacher that he may speak the truth, speak the scriptures, teach the scriptures to other people who are less uh, uh, steeped in the tradition of Holy Scripture, to teach them. It comes from God for the people of God. Not to call attention to yourself. Oh, he's a great preacher. He's a great teacher. He's a great servant. No. What you have is what you received from God. Not unto us, O oh Lord, not unto us, but to you belong all praise and glory for what you are doing in your church. There's two things here. The first one is preaching. I'll tell you, there's a lot of different styles in preaching. There's a lot of different personalities in preaching. Sometimes people are drawn to a certain personality, sometimes to a different personality. But the thing is that everyone who is preaching or teaching the Word of God, it must be the Word of God. It is not a person offering their opinions on what's going on in society. It's not about current events that are taking place in society. It's not to propagate your own particular uh, prejudices in preaching. It's not about psychology or sociology or philosophy. It's not about how brief the sermon is as if there's something good about being brief. This is the word of God. This is worshiping the living God who loved you, who made you, who gave his son for your life. What is the matter with a little bit of time? I think nothing. And then some think bringing humor into the pulpit is appropriate. This is serious stuff. This is life and death stuff. There's nothing to be laughed at or to think something is funny. We don't need uh, comedians. We need pastors who will feed the flock and who will die for the flock. So what does Peter say here? When you preach or teach the word of God, you preach the very oracles of God. Nothing else, nothing can come in. You preach the very word of God because that is the word that brings power. That is a word that will bring change. That is a word that will bring glory to the living God and the Holy Spirit. That is to be done to the glory of God and nothing else is to be added. The oracles of God in these 66 books. And the second and the last thing, the ministry of deed. You know, sometimes we, we don't do people a favor as a Christian, helping them out. 
We don't do it as a favor. We do it because God has called us to do it. And God has given us the ability to do it. So don't ask for any favors. But ask if they would be willing to serve God to serve you. So when you serve, understand that your ability to serve comes from God. It's not generated from within, but it comes from God. So the ultimate aim behind all service and all preaching is that God would be glorified. In Matthew 5, it says, let your light shine so that others may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's not about me. It's not about you. It is about God being glorified in what we do. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. Today, we're going to sit over here and we're going to eat. And I would say to you, eat to the glory of God. Drink to the glory of God. Have fellowship to the glory of God. Do all of those things and love one another as Christ has loved us. Love us and help us to love one another sacrificially. So if you want to glorify God, be controlled by his Holy Spirit. If you want to glorify God, be, be steeped in the word of God biblically and live a appropriate life and pray without ceasing and love one another and forgive one another and be hospitable to one another and use the gifts that God has given to you. And let me say this lastly. The scripture says, do not forsake the assembling together. Why? God wants us to come together to, so that we can encourage one another to love and to good deeds. And if you're not here, and sometimes providentially you can't be here, but if at all possible, you should be in the house of God encouraging us to love and to good deeds. That is what God has encouraged us strongly to do. Let me have a prayer and then we'll proceed to the table. Lord, we thank you for the Apostle Peter. Uh, he says a lot in a very short period of time, but this is life-changing words, Lord. These are life-changing. Where we think clearly, we behave clearly, we love deeply, we show hospitality, and we also preach and teach and serve because you have given us the gifts to do that, Lord. So we pray, and I pray today for each one here that they might know you better, having been here today, that we might love you more, having been here today, and that we might serve you Willingly, not grumbling, but willingly to the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.